Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're glad that you could join us again this week. This is week number seven. We're looking this week at Your Mercy Reaches Unto the Heavens, spending some time looking at God's mercy in the Psalms. Let's begin today with prayer. Father, thank you for your mercy. And as we spend time in the Psalms today, we ask that you'll help us to understand your mercy more clearly, what it is and what it isn't and why we can be so grateful for it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're happy once again to welcome the author of this quarter's Sabbath School lesson, Dr. Dragoslava Santrak. She has a PhD in Old Testament and is incredibly passionate about the book of Psalms and is generous enough to share that passion with us here each week. Slava, thank you for being with us again. I'm delighted to be here. Now, this week, Lesson 7, we're taking a look at God's mercy. Last week, we looked at God's judgment. Is it by coincidence that we are looking at mercy this week when we looked at judgment last week? My guess is probably not. Certainly not. You see, when we speak about the judgment, and uh, although we stress the aspect of the good news of it, uh, judgment as salvation and deliverance, still the judgment has uh, uh, another side of the coin, which is instilling in us the constant awareness of God's holiness and his righteousness. And like the psalmist, we may uh, feel, like uh, in Psalm 143, verse 2, that we do not want to appear at that judgment. And look what the psalmist says, Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no living is righteous. We realize, like the psalmist, that we have nothing good living in us, that we have nothing to offer to God as a prerogative to, to, to make us have peace in the day of his judgment. And that's why the message of the judgment in the Psalms is always accompanied uh, with the message of God's mercy, because it is God's mercy that, that brings this hope in God's judgments and makes it a good news. And some people may find this verse I just read to be contradictory with some other texts in the Psalms where the psalmist welcomes God's scrutiny and, and judgment and tells God, judge me, and claims his innocence. Are these texts really contradictory? Well, they speak about two aspects of the same thing. The Psalms where the psalmists are confident in their innocence and call on God to judge them are one side and the other side is this one when we do not want to be judged because they underline the truth that righteousness is not our prerogative, our natural prerogative, but it is the gift of God's mercy that he gives to his child in a covenantal relationship. So yes, we can have innocence and righteousness, but only as we receive that as the gift of God's mercy. And that's why the message of mercy follows the judgment, because in order to have peace and salvation at the time of judgment, we need to receive the gift of righteousness by God's mercy and grace. So God's mercy is a complement to his judgment or his justice. There, there would be no hope without exactly. the mercy. Uh, we'd be looking at salvation by works and we would all Absolutely. fall far short yes. in, in that yes. department. 
But there is God's mercy here, and we see it, and that's this week what we're delving into. When we look at the Psalms, what exactly is God's mercy? Because there are some people who describe God's mercy as his compassion, his graciousness. Is, is that accurate? Is that all there is to God's mercy? How would we describe God's mercy in the Psalms as we see it there? Yes, God's mercy is certainly what you mentioned, compassion, care, love, taking pity on those who are weak and needy. However, there is one aspect of, of God's mercy that's highlighted in the Psalms and is, and is very, very important. In Psalm 136, for example, we will read that God's mercy is actually his loyalty or his faithfulness. I like the word loyalty, that God is loyal to his covenant and therefore to his children. That's why he is a merciful God and his mercy accompanies his judgment because in the covenantal relationship with God, we receive his loyalty with his mercy that makes us withstand the judgment and come out of that judgment victorious. So Psalm 136 has this wonderful uh, verse, for his mercy endures forever. It's a sort of a refrain uh, or a chorus in, in this song, and it's mentioned 26 times, his mercy endures forever. Now we may ask, how do we know that his mercy endures forever? And the psalmist tells us in first nine verses, look at the creation. God created the world, but not just that. He also sustains the world. Last night, Eric, when we went to sleep, we weren't aware of the world while dreaming and sleeping. We were not aware. But then in the morning, we woke up and awareness returned to us. God is the one who restores each morning, like the sun that he brings. He sustains the world. Therefore, he's loyal to his works of creation. Then from verses 10, uh, maybe up to 22, the psalmist shares various examples of God's enduring mercy in history, in his great acts of salvation through various Various events, starting with Exodus and, and the parting of the Red Sea and other events that testify to God's people of God's loyalty or mercy that endures in history. And here are the evidences of that. And then finally, in verse 23 and on, who remembered us in our lowly state. So therefore, it is not just God of the past who helped them, who was loyal to them, but the Lord also remembers us in our state, wherever we are. And here is his loyalty to us as well. Isn't his loyalty and mercy wonderful? It is, and, and this helps us to understand that a little bit more. What he's done in the past in his, in his creative works, what he's done in the past historically, and then connecting with us today. It seems like uh, there may be some people who have a, a smaller idea of what God's mercy is, but this really expands it to help us understand who he is and that mercy is a part of his character and has been since, well, forever. 
And, uh, and that's a, a picture of a God who is a, a loving God, um, a just God. We looked at judgment last time, but a merciful God. And that mercy, the history of mercy, should be a help to those who, who wonder, and there are many today who wonder, how can I be saved? I've done this, I haven't done that, that I should have done. I, I said this to someone, I did that to someone. How can I possibly, how could God save me? I'm, I'm a terrible person. Yeah. Oh, well, the truth is we're all terrible people. Yes. Uh, we've all done those things. But this mercy, these stories of mercy in the Psalms should give us hope. Are there any other uh, passages that you could uh, think of that might be encouraging to someone who's, who's going through something yes. like that? Yes. Well, I love the memory text for, for this uh, week in Psalm 57, 9. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Your mercy reaches unto the heavens. Is there a limit to the heavens? There isn't. There is no limit to God's mercy. And that's a great, wonderful encouragement for us. You mentioned people who worry about their salvation, who worry about, haven't I done enough? Have I, have I forgotten to do something? These are not the questions that God wants us to ask ourselves. I, I, I would tell people, ask yourself, have I done something to make my heart continue beating? Have I done enough things to make my lungs breathe? You see, breathing is something that God gives us as his gift. Life is his gift. His mercy, which is limitless, is his gift to us. And the questions that we should ask instead is, where do I look? Where do I turn in my life? Do I look to self? Do I look to other people, circumstances, or do I look up to God? Do I search for the evidence of his greatness and give him the due glory that belongs to his name? So the fact that we are alive, the fact that we're breathing, the fact that our heart is beating is evidence of the grace of God. Because without his grace, we simply would not be. Uh, None of us would be. And so I'm alive, you're alive. Around the world, there are people who who are living and breathing because of God's mercy and God's grace. And so if, if we should find ourselves wondering whether God loves us or wants to save us or, um, or if we're heading in the right direction or not, we can stop and just say, well, A, I'm breathing. Yes. B, my heart is, is beating. And C, I'm concerned. And if I'm concerned, that means that God is at work in my heart, in my mind, and, uh, and leading me, drawing me through his spirit in the right direction. So if somebody's feeling that, sensing that, um, how would you encourage them to keep moving forward? Yes, yes. To do exactly that, as you said, if someone is concerned, it means that God is working on, on, on your heart. It means that God wants to draw you closer to himself. And that's why the Psalm 136 ends with all give thanks to the God of heaven. So it is God who remembers us, and our response is to take up the cup of salvation. The psalmist says, what shall I render? What shall I give back to God for all his mercy and wonderful things? 
I will take that cup of salvation, meaning I will not refuse his mercy. I will embrace it and allow God to do his work in me. And my work will be to respond to him with giving thanks to God and not to worry about things that are not in my power. Because frankly, there are so many much simpler things that we cannot do for ourselves. And God did not ask us to take care of our own salvation. He is the Savior. Our responsibility is to take that cup and drink it, embrace it, allow mercy to work its way in us according to God's will. And those are encouraging words for for all of us. And if you are interested in hearing some more encouraging words from the Psalms, make sure that you pick up the companion book, for this quarter's Sabbath school lesson. It's, of course, on the book of Psalms. You can find it at itiswritten.shop. Again, that's itiswritten.shop. The author is Dr. Martin Klingbeil, and you will be blessed as you delve into the pages of the companion book for this quarter's lesson. We're going to be right back in just a moment or two as we continue taking a look at this week's lesson. We'll be right back. Many people believe they'll never be good enough to be saved from sin and go to heaven. Jesus spoke to this during his time on earth, often using seeds to explain the science of salvation. Join me for Seed Time and Harvest. You'll gain rich insights into the work of the grace of God and how the principles of heaven work in your life. You'll learn how tiny seeds can grow to become some of the wonders of the natural world demonstrating that the seed of the Word of God can grow into something truly remarkable in your life. Join me as I travel to the Show Me State. I'll speak with experts and uncover the powerful principles and promises of the Bible that will change your life. Seed Time and Harvest, brought to you by It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're looking at God's grace here in lesson number seven. Slava, let me ask you this question. We hear of cheap mercy or cheap grace, that sometimes people, uh, they like to lean on God's grace when they are engaged in some uh, habitual sin, something that they don't want to get rid of, and they just say, oh, well, God will forgive me. Um, Help us to understand the the picture of grace that we find in the Psalms, compare, contrast that with what we might call cheap grace. How does this all fit together? Does it fit together? Uh, where do we draw this line in here? Yes, well, that's a very important question. Though I believe that uh, grace or mercy, God's mercy, is always the same. It is God's undeserving gift of grace, uh, which is limitless, and which is undeserved, as I said. So God's mercy is always the same. So when people think of cheap mercy, uh, they probably, as you pointed out, uh, think of people abusing this gift of grace. So it has nothing to do with the grace itself. It has everything to do with how people relate to that gift and how they use it, or I should say abuse it in, in, in this case. 
So there are many, many uh, uh, psalms that can illustrate what the proper attitude towards God's mercy is and should be. And I'm thinking of Psalm 51 as a wonderful example of uh, someone who embraced God's mercy in this proper way and allowed God's mercy to do its intended work. Because when we abuse it, mercy will remain fruitless in our lives. And that's such a pity when mercy in itself is so powerful. So here in Psalm 51, it is the Psalm of David. We see someone, David, embracing the mercy in the right way and allowing it to bring fruits of righteousness in his life. Now, as a way of short introduction, prior to praying this psalm and writing this psalm, David committed some terrible things in his life. He committed adultery, took another man's life, and not just that, but arranged circumstances so that Bathsheba, the the woman's husband, get killed in a battle. So he could cover up for his sin once she became pregnant, and therefore it was obvious that that, uh, uh, a sin was committed. So coming out of these terrible uh, uh, sins and experiences, now David has only one option. In order to move forward, he needs to lean on God's mercy. He needs to appeal to it. And maybe if we think, well, well, David, you went too far. How dare you appeal to God's mercy? Well, that's wrong. God's mercy is greater than our sins, greater than all the the, the weaknesses that we have. And it is precisely the task of the mercy to forgive, cleanse, and transform only if we will approach it as God wills us to approach. And this psalm illustrates this in a wonderful way. A motive that uh, uh, pervades this psalm is the motive of brokenness. In verse 8, we read of the psalmist broken bones, meaning that he is so crushed by the burden of his sins, as if his bones are literally broken. Then in verse 17, David speaks about his broken spirit. So in approaching uh, and leaning to God's mercy, his spirit is broken because he remembers what brought him to God's throne of mercy. And then verse 17, also he speaks of his broken heart. So you see, one way to approach God's mercy in a correct way is this sense of humility and brokenness. We come to God crying out to be restored, to be restored in order to be able again to bring glory to his name. Because in the current state, we cannot do that. So it sounds like repentance is a significant, plays a significant role in receiving that mercy. If there's no repentance, if there's no brokenness, if there's no sorrow, um, then just calling out for the mercy, it sounds like it's maybe uh, uh, slightly inappropriate. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but I'll use that word. Yes. 
it would be going against God's own character and his integrity and everything that God stands for. And that would be so, so incorrect and improper. And with this brokenness, um, it's interesting in verse 7, David says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Now, when we look in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus, there was a ceremony where the priest was, would use hyssop and a special water uh, uh, prepared to cleanse, for example, people suffering from uh, uh, skin diseases and leprosy. And once they are healed, they were quarantined, and then uh, upon the evidence of healing, they would be cleansed with hyssop, and that would announce that they are now restored and could be uh, allowed back into the community of God's people, back into the temple, etc. Now, when we read this psalm, we wonder, uh, did David suffer from leprosy or some skin disease? No, he didn't. But he felt that his sins were so disgusting, as if he was a leper himself. He was separated from God as a leper was separated from the community and was unclean. And that's why he asked for hyssop because no sacrifice, and he says that, no sacrifice could be offered for the forgiveness of murder and, and adultery. But then he hopes that this hyssop somehow would cleanse him of this leprosy of sin and unite him back, back with God. How can we be more appreciative of God's mercy in our life? It's there. It's available to us. Um, maybe we don't always avail ourselves of it. Sometimes we stew in our own juices, as, as we might say, and we're in a downward spiral of, oh, woe is me. But the mercy is there. And if we want to go as David did, it's, it's available. So how do we avail ourselves of that to to reap the benefits that God wants us to reap. Yes. First of all, I believe we need to get to know what God's mercy is and how wonderful it is and how available and freely it is given in us, in our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why I appeal to all of us to read the Psalms and feed on them and and, and find God's mercy in them and surround them, surround ourselves with these wonderful promises. I would like to share, Eric, one wonderful quote that one uh, author, he puts it very nicely and he says, not to praise God would mean to forget all his benefits, not to appreciate God's gifts. In order to really appreciate and have this mercy in in our lives, we need to praise God more. And many Psalms invite us, like Psalm 113, 123, to praise God in order to embrace and appreciate his mercy. And then this author continues, only those who praise do not forget. Now, this is interesting. Thinking and speaking about God is not yet praising him. Praise begins when we acknowledge God's majesty and works and respond with adoration of his goodness, mercy, and wisdom. Therefore, to appreciate mercy, we should not just think about it. We should speak about it and share with others 
the, the, the words of mercy. And we see that in the Psalms is very, very prominent. I shall tell my brothers of how God was gracious to me. Also, what I like to do is, to, is surround my living space with reminders of God's mercy. So there are so many uh, uh, Psalms and verses in the Psalms and the Bible that speak about mercy. I like to, to write them down or print and I uh, uh, glue them uh, uh, near my desk, at my kitchen cabinet, on my bathroom do- uh, a door or mirror. And sometimes I change so my family always gets these new reminders of God's mercy. Surrounding, praising God more, sharing about it. So experiencing God's mercy is not just an intellectual exercise. It's not just going, yes, I believe it exists. Mm -hmm. But when we put, when our lives practice that in in tangible ways, we receive more of the benefits uh, and maybe I could say we believe it more. It becomes more real to us. So putting remembrances, of notes and so forth, sharing with others. Any other things that we can do to kind of make God's mercy more, well, we don't make it more real, but we recognize its reality a little more in our day-to-day lives. What are some other things that we might do to reflect on that? Yes. Well, I would say showing mercy to others is also a way to cherish God's mercy in our lives. As Jesus would say, do to others what you would then do to you. But I would also say, do to others what God has done to you. If God has shown mercy to you in your life, in order to glorify and praise and celebrate this mercy, we are called to show mercy to others as well. So take just a minute or two and share with somebody who's trying to think of, of how they can experience God's mercy more deeply. They, they haven't felt the mercy. They haven't experienced it. What would you tell that person? Well, I would like to remind you of one wonderful text in Matthew 10 where Jesus said, But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, Psalm 56 says another thing. You number, speaking of God, you number my wanderings. You put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? What I find here very inspiring, that God's mercy is so deep that it knows everything about us. It reaches deeply into our being And these are wonderful, heartwarming expressions that even our tears, God collects them, God knows them. He sees all our wanderings in his mercy. He sees you, he sees me. We are called to trust in him. He's coming, he will deliver us. He's there for us. All our wanderings and tears are noted in his book. He will never, never forget us. Slava, thank you for helping us to understand God's mercy just a little bit better today. And we hope that you have experienced God's mercy. And if you haven't, we hope that you will experience in a very real way in the coming weeks and months ahead. And we will look forward to seeing you again next week as we continue our study of the book of Psalms. This has been Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written.